Henry Handsome was a larger-than-life outlaw cowboy. At least that's how the legend goes. Henry Handsome Lived and Died examines the creation, evolution, proliferation, dissemination, and degradation of American folklore. Through 30 different short stories, the character, vague idea, false memory, misattributed anecdote, or influence of the titular Henry Handsome does everything from change the course of American media to sculpt modern-day knowledge of manifest destiny. Together, the collection represents the stories that create and define a culture, how those stories are told, and if they ever were to begin with, and if any of that matters at all. Each story was written, recorded, narrated, and produced by me, Elliot Matson. If you'd like to learn more about the collection, go to elliotmatson.com slash henryhandsome. But for now, saddle up and enjoy the story. Henry Handsome Lived and Died Story number 17 Henry Handsome Muddied the Mighty Mississippi The evening of April 14, 1865 sent half the country into a depressive hysteria and half bursting from the woodwork on the edge of ostracization. John Wilkes Booth stole off into the night with the beating heart of America still warm in his bloody hands, although his only pragmatic option for obfuscation was trudging through the banks of the Potomac. Rumors immediately swirled that the assassin had chartered a boat to the Caribbean, or made it all the way to Florida bound for Cuba, or hoofed it on foot to get as far as the Mississippi River. Militia men and vigilantes across the eastern seaboard and inland were on a manhunt and Henry Handsome quickly learned he'd picked the exact wrong time to rob a bank in St. Louis. <sighs> in all the commotion, the Handsome gang dispersed in the high grasses along the Illinois and Missouri banks of the Mississippi. A few went one way, a few went the other. Typically, in these situations, it was every man for himself. But there was one mutual understanding that the most important man was Henry. Wolf John took a bullet in the back so Henry could dive into the water. Under the cover of night, Henry floated south as far as he could stand it. Really only made it a couple miles, but in those days, everything from Missouri to Louisiana looked about the same. In these days, too, now I think about it. Henry grabbed a rubbery limb and hoisted himself on shore, teeth chattering along with the bullfrogs. <sighs> Silvertooth, he called as loud as he could in a gruff whisper. Pharaoh. Anybody there? The dark swampland replied only in a solemn yawn. Fellers, anybody? My legs busted to shit. Henry flopped on his back and gazed at the stars. He hadn't looked at the night sky this long since he was out in New Mexico. Or maybe I'm thinking of when he was in Arizona. Regardless, even though he was in pain and the cash he'd stolen and no doubt turned to pulp in his burlap sack by now, he lay there at peace with the world and his place in it. For a moment. And some son of a bitch gone and interrupted him. You hear something? Said a hick voice followed by the distinctive cock of a sawed-off shotgun. Don't know, said another voice. Probably just a river rat or something. The authorities couldn't have caught up to him already. Henry left too many handsome gang bodies ripe for the plucking in his wake. And none of those fellows would ever say a word as to the whereabouts of their boss. These two sounded like normal folks. When I get my hands on that booth, I'm going to strangle him till his eyes pop out, said the first man. You hear the rewards up to $100,000 now? Booth, thought Henry. Like Edwin Booth, the actor? What the hell had he done to make two nobodies in Missouri so damn upset? Come on, said the second man. Leroy's bringing his dog to meet us up the road. 
Henry held his breath as the men fought their way through the thickets until all he could hear were the crickets. He tried kneeling but let out a sorrowful slew of curses when he put pressure on his leg. They weren't looking for him, but other folks were. And Henry probably had a reward on his head as sizable as Booth's, so we couldn't be too careful. Sure, there were plenty of times he would have come out guns blazing, but something else was clearly brewing, and he sensed it would behoove him to steer clear. He hated to admit it, but sometimes the best thing you can do is wait it out. Now, Henry wouldn't have had such a premier hiding place if not for a different fella, one you might know. Years earlier, on one of his many tours around the country, Paul Bunyan was up in Itasca, Minnesota. He got wind of a community down south that needed some building assistance. Because his mama had schooled him never to arrive as a guest empty-handed, Paul gathered up as many trees as he could, tied them together, and dragged them on down to Louisiana. He left behind him a powerful gorge in the land, which became filled with crystal clear water. The community on the banks of the Gulf of Mexico was overjoyed by the giant's assistance, first for the building resources and second for the beautiful natural water supply. Other towns sprang up along the mighty river who had Paul to thank for their industry and good fortune as well, including St. Louis, whose first bank on the Mississippi Henry Hansom had thought to rob on April 14th, a few short hours before Honest Abe took a bullet in the brain. For nearly three weeks by some accounts and five by others, Henry hid in the dark and muck from the law and anyone who fancied themselves law adjacent. The legend only grew from his exploits. Folks forgot about the bank robbery altogether and began to focus on the story of Henry and the river. They were close calls, like the day he stumbled upon a lone farmer's daughter bathing nude in the river, or the fisherman who damn near caught him in a catfish net, or the preacher Henry scared the shit out of. I met a fellow who said one pitch black evening, Handsome and Booth ran into each other, had a laugh, and parted ways. But to me, the timing doesn't quite line up for such an occurrence. No, I prefer to imagine Henry's more mud than man. The only clean thing about him after weeks on the land being the whites of his eyes. He made a splint for his leg out of branches and bootlaces. He either ignored or didn't care about the deep, serpentine slice down his face from a sharp reed that would never quite heal correctly. He trapped muskrats and garter snakes, sweat through his clothes some nights, and froze his ass off other ones. All the price of being an outlaw, I suppose. After however long you choose to believe Henry Handsome hit on the riverbanks, he decided the coast was clear. It's never an exact science. There's no sign from God or writing on golden plates. I reckon it was a sense Henry had developed from years of rough living and days in the wilderness. The air was crisp that morning. Still a bit of winter frost, pepper and flower buds trying to usher in an early spring. Henry breathed a deep sigh of relief as he untied his splint and rotated his ankle. He laughed, though nobody was around to hear it and nobody told a joke. The joke was on his pursuers. Made fools out of every last one of them. He did it again. And whenever he did it again, it infused him with a feeling of invincibility like he would never die. Not in a million years. A mallard softly landed on the crystal clear waters of the calm river. It beckoned Henry closer until he could see every red, blue, purple, and gray rock adorning the bed. Bright pearls in the sunlight. A small man by most accounts, he looked positively rotund, caked in more mud than a hundred pigs and shit. The brown sewage weighed him down, each step and effort as he got his leg working again. 
Starlings whistled in the trees as he disrobed and dropped his soiled garments in the river. Even so, he couldn't tell he stood on the shore bare-ass naked from all the mud still on him. He tested the frigid water with a grisly, pruny toe. Easing in wasn't how Henry Handsome did anything, though. He let out a loud wail of freedom and jumped in. When he hit the water, its sparkling iridescence evaporated immediately. The mud leaving Henry's body fused with the liquidy molecules, seizing the sunlight on the surface and choking it in the darkness. You can't cleanse one thing without muddying up another. Geologists at the time were baffled by the instantaneous shift in pH. Environmentalists documented the extinction of several kinds of river plants, insects, and fish, including the Everton trout and the Dillywick mosquito. Businesses and towns that staked their reputation on the cleanest water in the West now faced either bankruptcy or a lengthy confusion rebrand. Nobody quite knew at the time what had happened. Not those poor souls. Not the citizens of Riverside communities from Minnesota to Louisiana. Not Paul Bunyan. Not even John Wilkes Booth wrapping his lips around a pistol in a burning barn. See, if they did cross paths that evening and yucked it up, I reckon the joke would have been on old Johnny Boy. Both men pulled a trigger that day. Both men were pursued by the long arm of the law. Both men would live on well past this mortal coil. But John Wilkes Booth would die in ignominy, a cold-hearted assassin, sick semper tyrannous, and the repercussions would ripple into eternity, carve crevasses between brothers, between man and country, unraveling a more perfect union. Nobody remembers John for his acting, all I'm saying. Hell, nobody remembers Edwin either because of it. Henry Handsome, on the other hand, bad as he ever was, smile like a hungry hyena, ravager banded of the open west, probably murdered more people than John Wilkes Booth met in his whole life. Yet he stepped into those translucent waters and emerged cleansed, renewed, baptized into an American legend. Ain't that something? He became a hero, and we cheered him from the shoreline of a dirty river. But we sure loved that river. Thanks for listening to Henry Handsome Lived and Died. If you'd like to learn more about the collection, go to elliotmanson.com slash henryhandsome. 